0: have this sort of culture of pushing that we we need to make sure kids make the milestones and we constantly evaluate them and I find all of that kind of energy gets in the way of really connecting with kids and really knowing who they are Mm -hmm. but we can really trust their own sense of themselves and their own needs like bedtimes like mealtimes if they're Mm -hmm. not hungry they shouldn't eat and it doesn't make any difference what the clock says or what the expert out there says or anything else People who are not hungry should not eat. We should not be teaching people to ignore their body cues, Right, but we do it all the time. We teach them to ignore their, their need to move. We teach them to ignore their needs for more sleep oh, or wow. less sleep. Welcome, or sleep welcome.
1: Blissful parents out there. And I found that host it was arrogant of parents awesome to say, well, Friday I know whether or not you've meal, had enough to eat. So I want to How first welcome Linda Clements. So Linda, welcome. How are you Thank doing? Thank you very much.
0: My pleasure to be here.
1: Good. So what's really cool about Linda, you guys, she is a thriving parenting coach and she's, her parenting business is called Raising Parents, which I think is fantastic. Um, Oh my gosh, Linda has got so much experience today. We're going to be talking about chores and the problem with chores and parents. And I really love, I just want to share with you some of the other cool things that Linda's done in this space. She's, she was a long time Leslie leader um, she was also a, you know, fast pitch softball umpire and occasional doodler, and she's got so many great insights for, um, on views of children and children wearing and philosophy around kids and parenting. And she's written some really cool books. So one of the names of your books is the way and the power of mothering meditations on mothering balance and the Taoist way, which I think that's really cool. And then she's also written another book called lazy parenting, parenting, a simpler way. I relate to that one. That sounds good. And then the the manual your child came with, a parenting book about your child. Finally, someone wrote the manual for parents. Awesome! I love it. So, Linda, you've got so many really cool ways about parenting. So, tell us a little bit about like how did you get started in the parenting space? And you, you are a mom yourself, obviously. And so, yeah, uh, yeah. Take it there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I was a little, when I was a little age like leader. I had a group of moms who just never left. <laughs> they, just, they just kept. Coming. <laughs> And their kids kept coming and and eventually it became sort of this experienced parents group where every now and then this new mom would show up with a tiny baby and stare in horror at the noise of all the children. And, uh, you know, the conversation was always about older kids and, and going into the teen years and the stuff that you have to deal with as they turn into four-year-olds and, and these poor new moms. So I, I split the group in half. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a senior experienced mom's group, and then there was the new moms group. And in the senior mom's group, one of the one of the longtime members said, Could you put on a parenting course? Because my husband is tired of hearing Linda says and he wants to argue with you directly. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> at around the same time, I had been looking at the possibility of becoming a life coach in general because I had always been the person who, you know, in grade two, people were asking me how to spell things. And people would phone me up randomly and say, Hey, where can you get this thing? What is this? How does this work? All the time. Like it's just part of my life. People phone me and ask me things. And I also have that kind of, you know, tell me everything face. So I would find out these weird stories about all kinds of different people. So I had this really big sort of base of mm-hmm. I answer questions. I help people find their goals. I I'm in that kind of supportive encouraging space without really being a therapist but never really had interest in being a therapist um, i was reading a lot of martha beck at the time so i thought oh hey cool a parenting coach i think i may have made it up i think i might have been the first person who did that because <laughs> that's way back in 2002 so i put on a parenting course called raising adults not kids Mm -hmm. With the tagline that we have enough four-year-olds walking around in 40-year-old bodies already.
1: (laughs) I love it. That's so funny. (laughs) How did I go over that parenting course?
0: (laughs) It was very successful. I I ran it three or four times live in Victoria. And then Mm -hmm. things stirred up in my life. And and it kind of changed. But mostly my, my clients have always been online, which is really odd. I've had clients across the United States, in Israel, in the UK, in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I've always been sort of Skype, telephone, email support kind of coach. So when COVID hit, like <laughs> so online is like, well, that's my usual life. So it's fine. <laughs>
1: yeah. <That was> the <laughs> I've same always done, we done do. that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome! So cool. And so, how did you start writing these books? You've written three. Is it three books, or you've written more than that? I've written more than that. I started
0: a book called Life Immersion about homeschooling with young kids. Um, That kind of got put on the shelf quite a long time ago. I started writing Lazier Parenting uh, just before COVID happened. Uh, I was actually planning a launch in the middle of the summer in 2020, and it was another one of those. I guess that's a dumb idea. (laughs) Um, I can't do a big launch event if I can't have six people involved. So I'm not going to do that. That's when I decided to make the ebook, the parent, the, the mm-hmm. manual your child came with, mostly because people have been asking for it for years. Everybody says, Well, I just need a manual. I just need to know how to how to do this. Why did they let me take this baby home from the <laughs> <Yeah>. hospital <manual? laughs> with a <laughs> manual? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the te- the way and the power of mothering I wrote actually for my sister when she was pregnant with my niece, the, her mm-hmm. first baby, in order to sort of give her an idea of parent leadership from behind on the sort of Taoist philosophy of of mm-hmm. governance and leadership, how to help people so that in the end, your children say, we're naturally this way.
1: Right, they don't have
0: right. any sense that they've been pushed or molded or created in any other way. You just sort of make space around them for them to explore who
1: they are and, and become themselves. Mm, I love that. That's so great. And so and then my
0: favorite, favorite yeah. qualification, people will be like, well, how are you qualified to do this? I'm like, I lived with
1: teenagers I liked. well congratulations because that's the first i've heard (laughs) awesome and so that's your own kids obviously (laughs) yeah
0: well and some other ones for a little while we had five kids in the house (laughs) most of them weren't mine Um, and sometimes we just were the house that everybody kind of flaked out in. we'd wake up on a tuesday morning and there'd be people in the living room do
1: we know any of these ones (laughs) (laughs) who brought the stragglers home (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome. That's so you guys must have had a great relationship with your kids growing up then uh, for them to have felt safe to bring their friends that were struggling home with them. So what could you do to create that space in your house? I know that's a question a lot of parents with teenagers are looking to have (laughs) answered.
0: (laughs) It's a a really big question actually that I mean and it's really hard. We have this sort of culture of pushing that we we need to make sure kids make the milestones and we constantly evaluate them and i find all of that kind of energy gets in the way of really connecting with kids and really knowing who they are when mm-hmm. we can really trust their own sense of themselves and their own needs like bedtimes like meal times if they're mm-hmm. not hungry they shouldn't eat and it doesn't make any difference what the clock says or what the expert out there says or anything else people who are not hungry should not eat we should not be teaching people to ignore their body cues right but we do it all the time we ignore we teach them to ignore their need to move. We teach them to ignore their needs for more sleep or less sleep or sleep at a different kind of time. And I found that it was almost arrogant of parents Mm -hmm. to say, well, I know whether or not you've had enough to eat. Mm -hmm. How how can you know that? Of course, I I find one of the things that's almost magical is when when you're breastfeeding, it's like, is this really happening? (laughs) There's a real sort of disconnect because you can't measure it and you can't see it and you can't really, I mean, the baby doesn't gain so much weight in a feeding that you can tell they actually ate anything. You're like, is this really happening? (laughs) So it really challenges your ability to trust the process and to trust their bodies to know best for them and just to allow them to be themselves and create ways for them to accomplish what it is that they want to accomplish. Mostly, kids come with a a deep need. That need doesn't go away. We just kind of stomp on it as a culture. They have have a deep need to become adults and they really want to become adults. So when we're talking about drawers and children, why not segue into that now? Um, (laughs) Quite often, little kids, like 14 month old kids want to do what mom's doing. They want to do what dad's doing and they get this sort of pushed away, leave me alone. you don't fold the towels right, or you can't hold the screwdriver, or here's a toy thing, instead of a real thing. So they have this sort of long period of their lives when they were really interested and really wanted to, and that got pushed and shoved away for so long, because it's faster if I just do it myself, or whatever, or it's just not safe for you to do it. So that when they get to the ages when, you know, the school age kids could be doing it, Mm -hmm. They're incredibly resistant to it because all they remember is kind of bad feelings around it. Like Mm. just don't, they don't want to anymore because it makes them feel icky. It reminds them of that deep need that was sort of shoved away and overcoming that is, is a bit of a challenge. Actually, it's, it's Mm. hard to get sort of through that. Yes, I pushed you away when you really wanted to do it a long time ago. And now you see it as something you shouldn't have to do because for a really long time, I told you I didn't want you to. Like that's <laughs> a hard thing to overcome. Right. But really, chars are a funny thing. In some cultures, if you went to somebody's house for dinner, they would tell you all about how long it took them to prepare the meal and how many grocery stores they had to go to and how much time they spent polishing the house because all of that is considered a gift to the guests. Mm. And here we're like, oh, no, our house is always this perfect. (laughs) So we always think we have this like illusion that we don't do it. Mm -hmm. That kind of goes along with the idea that we probably shouldn't have to because it's drudgery and it's and it doesn't have much value and nobody appreciates it anyways. When in fact, it's us that that have evaluated the work that way. Mm. And then we wonder why why kids don't want to play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to do what you think is beneath you. Because if you think it's beneath you, I can guarantee you, I think it's beneath me. Mm -hmm. And you you just can't transmit that to kids and expect them to go, oh, yeah, I'm so doing your housework for you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Can't wait to scrub those toilets, said, and no kid ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I just can't wait to do the dishes for you, mom, because you think it's such a horrible job. You shouldn't have to do it. So obviously, Mm -hmm. being less than human, I should love this.
1: Right. <laughs> so and how do we navigate know, around this? Just well, Mark Twain was chorting. right. If, <laughs> if
0: you value the work, and okay. I and I think parents, like, really challenge yourself. Do you value this mm-hmm. work? And if you don't, I suggest you stop doing it. Because if you mm-hmm. don't value the work itself and you don't value the product of the work, you're never going to be able to talk anybody into doing it for any length of time. You're just not right. going to be able to. But if you say, oh, you know, whitewashing the fence is the most fun I've had all day, when you're genuinely enjoying the, you know, the entertainment of changing the color of the fence. I mean, people enjoy all kinds of weird things. You never know. If you are doing the (laughs) things that you value and that you enjoy the process of and the product of, then your kids will be Mm -hmm. alongside you going, can I do some of that? It's just more, it's a more attractive energy. And if you want people involved... Mm -hmm. You need to make space for them to do it wrong, to try it their way. And if you want Mm. them to be really responsible, you need them to be evaluating it and them to be setting the schedule. Mm. And quite often, parents approach it like, well, you're my staff, and I get to decide when it's perfect enough, and I get to decide what minute it gets done in the day. And it it just sets up this contention that I think, you know, maybe you could just not have that.
1: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of drama around chores in a lot of households that's really unnecessary, I think. <laughs> One of
0: my favorite things from Tai Chi, um, I took Tai Chi a really long time ago from a great guy from Hong Kong. And there's a thing called push hands where you you push against somebody's hands. And you can do this with anybody. It's a great party trick. It's really fun. So you push your hand and you get somebody else to put their hand up and then you push against mm-hmm. it. And even really little people, if you push against them, they'll hold you up. hmm Automatically without thinking about it. Now, what that means is anytime you push somebody, they will push back automatically without thinking about it. Right. So, the way to get where you want to go or to move people the way you want is to be receptive with your energy so that when they push, you move with them. Mm -hmm. So, if you can think about just helping them get what they want out of life, helping, supporting them doing what they want in life, then you eliminate that sort of push I'm pushing you to do what I want you to do I'm pushing you to be who I want you to be because they have their own internal drive to become mature and adults and to to survive and thrive in the world they find themselves in Mm -hmm. and quite a lot of the you know you have to because I said so is actually based on the idea that they won't grow up if they're not pushed Mm -hmm. and it really is completely the other way around it's it's the complete opposite of that
1: Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think that, you know, all of these uh, households have had so many uh, conflicts around chores where it could have been solved quite easily. It's interesting, like all we had to do is get interested in doing our own chores and get the kids interested in doing them as well. It is interesting, just right before this uh, interview, I was in the kitchen and I was like, I have 10 minutes before this interview. My kids were wanting pancakes. I was like, okay, I can't do this myself and get ready for the interview at the same time. So I called my eight-year-old over. I was like, okay, we got to do this together. And he was totally on board, really happy to like help do make his own pancakes. And, you know, although, you know, as I was overseeing it, but he was doing most of it. And it's interesting. And I can see how that power could help, you know, with, picking up his clothes in the room or doing the bathroom. Hey, let's get this bathroom all tidy together. Like we make it something that we do together or like a, something that seems fun. Um, what I find with kids, and I, this is a question I wanted to ask you is I find the kids that, you know, you say, go clean your room. Well, they don't really really know what that means. Like it's not really, that expectation of cleaning your room is very different to what I think a clean room looks like and what they think a clean room looks like. So how can you walk us through get through that successfully? <laughs>
0: Well, I'd start with precise language. I used to teach my kids precise language for fun. They would say, can you put my shoes on? And I'd try to stuff my feet into their shoes. And they're like, no, I meant put them on me. You didn't say that. <laughs> and I, I tried really hard to be very clear about what it was I meant. Because clean your room could mean anything. Do you mean wash the windows and the walls? Wash the floor? Wash the ceiling? What do you mean? Because when they say clean the dishes, they don't mean tidy them all up into a neat pile in the cupboard in the state they're in now. So if they're thinking, you want me to clean all my toys? You never know what they're interpreting that as because Mm -hmm. it just is genuinely not informative. It's not even directive. It's so vague. But we think we know what we mean and we think
1: they know what we mean. Right. Communication failure. (laughs) No way to quantify it if no one knows what they're talking about.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So if you can make more clear directions, could you go Mm -hmm. pick all the Barbie clothes up off of your floor and put them in the bin they belong in, please? Mm. That's a thing a kid can do, and they may not, because they might like their Barbie clothes all spread out so they can see them all, but at least it's clear. If you say, can you put all your laundry in the the laundry basket, please? That's a thing you can do. Now, whether or not laundry is clean or dirty, it's... mm. (laughs) Sometimes you have to be a little more specific than that. But to be fair to kids, those bedrooms were designed... For most, for the most part, bedrooms were designed when kids had a baseball bat, a ball and a glove, mm-hmm. two books, a scooter, and maybe a doll. Mm-hmm. And now they have an average of what? 3,000, 6,000 inventory <laughs> items. So many all little the little
1: things, little things. <laughs> Just a half a billion everywhere. pieces of little or tiny Lego, pl- Lego pieces everywhere. God, can't yeah. handle them. Can't get on yeah. them.
0: <laughs> 7,000 Barbie shoes. They're expected to manage an inventory that if you put it into a store that didn't have enough shelves and bins for all of it, Mm -hmm. you'd say, well, how on earth would you ever find any of this and where would you put it? Mm
1: -hmm. Their whole
0: room is not organized for that kind of inventory control. So, of course, it's totally overwhelming. (laughs) To add to the fact that children like to be able to see their stuff, which is why what they usually do to a toy box is empty it on any flat surface. So if you can make it so that their rooms are set up in a way that all their stuff fits, which means limiting the amount of stuff, you know, doing that Um, economics of space in the same way you do economics of money. If we don't have any more money, we don't buy any more toys. If we don't have any more space, we don't bring any more toys in until some of them go away. (laughs) But if you can have visual toy storage, you know, five shelves that are all this far apart, On the wall that they can reach, Mm. then they can put all their toys where they can see them. Then they don't have to have them all over the floor, and then they're really easy to put away. Yeah, because there's somewhere they belong that make it easy for them to get them out again. Because there's nothing like having a bin of toys where all the Barbie shoes and all the little tiny Lego pieces end up underneath five thousand other things. Mm. What would you do to get them? Are you really going to dig through all this? Are you just (laughs) going to
1: empty it into Uh, the world? Drawing the dots as to why there's stuff everywhere in my daughter's
0: room. And and we homeschooled. So my kids were at home for most of it, which meant we didn't only have all the toys and all the clothes and -hmm. all the shoes and all the books. We also had all the papers and the art supplies and the sports equipment. And that we had so much stuff because there weren't four other locations where they did all their things, everything they did was centered in our house so we actually (laughs) laid up shelves that looked a little bit like a store in the playroom we had you know shelves that were about shoulder height for the kids that had three shelves on them and all kinds of bins and they went up the wall and (laughs) everywhere but they were actually in even in the middle of the room because there wasn't enough wall space for that much shelf space Mm. and it was all you know possible to put away they didn't put away very often because it was their space and if they want a snow drift of Barbie toys all over the floor, I'm just okay. <laughs> going Whatever. Yeah. once a year in order to, you know, donate not lots of it to make space for the new stuff or whatever, but mm-hmm. let them that. keep their spaces the way they want is one of the easiest ways. But really, if you want them to succeed at it, there needs to be a limited amount of stuff and there mm-hmm. needs to be ways of putting it somewhere. It needs to be easy to put away. It needs to be organized well so that they can put it away easily.
1: Yeah, some organization would be great. Um, I also, I've been toying with the idea of like taking away certain toys and doing like a rotation of them, like where it's a bin that comes out with just certain things in it. So they actually get to play with those things for a month, put them away, bring the next one out kind of thing. That's definitely on the top of my list right now. I'm looking at some rotational things.
0: (laughs) I, I would encourage you for creativity purposes, not to rotate entire sections of toys. Like all the Lego goes away and right. the Barbies will come out. If they have different kinds of toys, they will play with them all together. Mm-hmm. The idea of putting mm-hmm. away the toys because they're in a category doesn't work in kids' heads. They use yeah. things in different ways. So making the bins a variety of things just means they'll play with them in a variety of different mm-hmm. ways. I really like Simplicity Parenting's suggestion, which is if it takes more than five minutes to tidy up, you have too much stuff.
1: Mm. Interesting. You think, wow,
0: getting rid of all those toys. You think, well, think of all those nice people who can have cheap toys at the Valley Village or wherever, the thrift, yeah. shop, thrift shop or whatever. Like, <laughs> let them let the other people have it at Goodwill so they, their kids can have some nice, barely used toys instead of, yeah. you know, kind of the broken end of stuff that usually ends up there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So back to our chores and kids and and parenting and keeping it all, you know, not so so much of a a, a thunderstorm in the house. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Can you leave us with a couple of tips for our parents to help set them up for success.
0: I think really organize your house around what you actually value mm-hmm. um, for yourself. Stop doing chores that you don't value. If you think making a bed is super important and you love the way it looks and you love getting into it later at night, make your bed. If you don't don't mm-hmm. make make your own decisions about the way your house stays so that when it's you doing it you're happy to do it you're proud of your work you're you value what you're doing and in that way you'll you'll find it easier to ask kids to help because then mm-hmm. you're enjoying yourself not trying to get out of the scummy work and you'll also find that you just don't do things that you don't care about Some people think polishing silver is the most fun you can have in an afternoon. And other people think it is beyond torture. So if you don't want to polish the silver, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Like don't make work for yourself. Don't make it hard on your kids by having this great long list of things that need to be done. Do what is important to you and what you value. And then your kids will, will value it along with you. One time I had the most amazing experience and I don't even know if my kids know, I know this happened, (laughs) We decided because my parents had become vegetarian to do an eight course dinner for eight people in order to make it so that the turkey table was not, you know, this great big vacancy in the middle of it. And it looked weird. So we just did. I had a lot of dishes. So I did this eight course meal and I served the first one and sat down and ate and then stood up to clear the table for the next course. And my children stood up, gathered up the plates, took them into the (laughs) the room and helped serve the next course. And they did that through the entire meal. And then they helped clean all the dishes and the entire time, all the hair on my head was standing up. What is happening? (laughs) I never mentioned it. I didn't expect them to do it. Mm -hmm. And they just climbed in and did it like they were part of the family and helping out and keen to do it. And so it, it will come. (laughs) They will be able to do this. My kids are both very tidy. They have very tidy clean houses now Mm -hmm. and we didn't have wars over Housekeeping after I figured out that that wasn't working.
1: (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for being with us today. You've given so many great insights and tips and that are, you know, really not what we've been reading in the magazines and on the blogs and stuff. They're very uh, different than the typical advice we get. So I love that. And we can find more information about Linda's on her website at RaisingParents.net. Go check her out. She's got tons of great books, including the manual you've all been looking for. (laughs) And uh, looking forward to uh, diving into some of your books, Linda, and bringing you back on on again sometime in the future so we can talk about so many other great tips so Linda anything else you want to leave our parents with before we say goodbye
0: I think if you encourage cooperation you will have a great deal less difficulty than if you attempt to to control kids or or gain compliance they want to cooperate with you they they like you and want to be on your side
1: They want to be on your side. Did you guys hear that? Parents out there? Yes, they want to be on your side. Let's make it happen for them so we can all have Blissful Families, Blissful Parenting experiences, right? Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.